Bless the Lord. Children can be dismissed if they need to go to child ministry. Let's get our Bibles out today. We're in Revelation chapter 3. We looked at five churches that were told to repent, and we did a series on repentance. The book of Revelation, five out of the seven churches were told to repent. Two of them were excused from repentance, and this little series here that we're doing is on those two churches to find out what they were doing that pleased the Lord. And Jesus requires five of them to get right or there's going to be trouble. But two of them, he has no correction, no criticism for, and no call to repentance. Uh, is the Lord speaking? We have, used to have a teacher that say, uh, when we, there was talking in class, she would say, I hear a rustling in the mulberry bushes. Remember Sister Ruth? So that, that must have been what she was talking about. But here are two churches that were so pleasing to Jesus that he has their full attention, he knows their deeds, he's speaking to them, and he has no correction for them, no criticism of them because they were pleasing the Lord. And we said, we want to find out what pleases the Lord. It's good to know what you shouldn't do, amen? But it's also good to know what you should do. Usually when you know what you should do and you're doing it, you don't have time to do what you shouldn't be doing. A lot of, a lot of us have an extra time because we're not doing what we should be doing. Amen? So these guys were doing the right things and they were pleasing the Lord and we wanted to explore that. Because we want to please him, not because it earns us salvation, not because it makes us religious or spiritual. We want to please him because we love him. And our love for the Lord is something we need to cultivate and we need to nourish and nurture because love can grow cold. Now, you know in human relationships when love grows cold, nothing good comes out of that. We've all seen marriages where they didn't maintenance their relationship, they didn't stay in love, they didn't continue to date each other, and the love has grown cold. And, you know, where there's no love in a marriage, that's a dark place to be. Where there's no love in our relationship with the Lord, that's a dark place to be, and it's not pleasing to the Lord. So I want to read to you Revelation 3. We're going to look at the church of Philadelphia. We looked at Smyrna. They were the persecuted church. If you didn't hear those two messages, get online and get them in your spirit. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, He was holy who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open, says this. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and you have followed my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who live on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold firmly to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. 
The one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus says some powerful things to Philadelphia, and before we go too much further, we need to look at that word Philadelphia. It's a familiar word to a lot of us, but when you explore the etymology of that word, it's quite interesting. Philadelphia is actually a compound Greek word made from philos, meaning loving, and alpheos, meaning brother. So the literal translation is brotherly love. Now, Philadelphia was an ancient city in Lydia, and it was called Brotherly Love, and it was named in honor of Atalos Philadelphos, the second king of Pergamos. And it was said that Atalos had a great love for his brother Eumenes. And so there's a backstory here to the word Philadelphia, that compound word meaning brotherly love. The city in Lydia was actually named after a king who loved his brother. Anybody have phileo, paternal, sibling love? even if you have to raise your hand in faith. <laughs> you know, I, I, was, I had a brother and a sister growing up, and we, we have a love for each other still. And, you know, a lot of times in families, there are sibling rivalries. But the truth is, you know, our siblings are our closest friends, our best friends, and they're a gift from God. Amen. Laos there, that brotherly love scene in Lydia was the mark of that church that they loved each other, they loved God, and it was pleasing to the Lord. Now, we know Philadelphia as a city in Pennsylvania, and that city is literally referred to the city of brotherly love. Now, if you look at the crime statistics there and the shootings and everything that's going on, it's almost like, you know, when something's named something, the enemy does his best to mock the name of it. We see a lot of violence and a lot of division, not only in that city, but all throughout the nations. And so brotherly love, paternal love, love for the brothers and sisters and love for God is something that pleases the Lord. It was at the core of this church in Philadelphia, and their love had garnered them favor with the Lord. In fact, Bible teachers called the church of Philadelphia the favored church. Smyrna was the persecuted church. Remember, they wouldn't worship Caesar, so they were persecuted by Rome. They literally had their businesses and their assets and their property seized by Caesar. Why? Because they wouldn't offer a pinch of incense and say, Hail Caesar, and worship along. They refused idolatry, and it cost them persecution. Philadelphia was faithful to Jesus. They had love at the core of their church, and it was pleasing to them. Now, the Bible teachers calling that church the favored church is no accident. We're going to see the favor of God on them. And the reason they had God's favor is because they were pleasing the Lord. I want you to see that. When we please the Lord, his favor rests upon us. When we please ourselves, when we please the flesh, when we do our thing instead of his thing, when we put ourselves first and him somewhere second, third, or fourth, that's when our life's out of order, and that costs us the favor of God. See, God will still love us. God will still bless us. We're still saved, but we cost ourselves favor. We need to live in such a way that we please the Lord that his favor can rest upon our lives. 
Jesus revealed himself to each of the seven churches in a way that the church needed to see Jesus. Now, isn't that awesome that we had a Savior that relates to us? He doesn't reveal himself to us in a way that we can't relate to. No, as he came to fishermen and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't come to fishermen and said, I'll turn all of you into tax accountants. No, that, that wouldn't have done it. Why? Because he relates to them and he relates to us and that favor that's on us because we're loving and we please him is a powerful thing. And so we, we jump right down into here in this church of brotherly love and, and Jesus begins to speak to them and he reels himself as this. He says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, which opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. So in verse 7 there, we get that revelation to Philadelphia, who Jesus Christ is. And the first thing he says about himself is, he who is holy, he who is true. Now, this is not going to come as a surprise to any of us, but we need to be reminded of it anyway. The God we serve is a holy God. Amen. Amen. The God we serve is a holy God. His holiness and our sin doesn't mix. It's like water and oil. It puts us out of step with him. It costs us his favor. He still loves us, but he can't fellowship with us if we're given over to sin. And understand, he reveals himself to this church that is a loving church as one who is holy. He wants them to remember who he is. Uh, holy and true. These are two divine attributes of God. A divine attribute is something that is always true about God. And God is always holy. God doesn't wake up one day and go, I'm going to be mischievous today. I'm going to be naughty today. I'm going to renege on all my promises today. That's not the God that we serve, amen? He's always been holy. He'll always be holy. He's not going to step back from his holiness. He's not going to treat us unjustly. He's not going to break his promises to us. He's a holy God. We have to remember something about a holy God, that when we approach him, we can't approach him in our own, uh, our own strength. We have to approach him covered in the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is what gives us the holiness that we can commune with God. So he says, I'm holy, and they needed to remember he was holy, and that they loved and served the holy God. But he also says, he who is true. Now, the thing about knowing that God is true and that he is truth allows us to have confidence in him. If God says something, he keeps his word. If God says something, it's 100% accurate. That's why I'm shocked, you know, people will argue with the word of God or try and say things in the word of God are not true or this book was just written by a bunch of different men. Listen to me, I dare you, if this book was written just by men, the impossibilities of having all of it synchronized and agree with each other, listen, I dare you to apply any of this to your life and see if it doesn't change your life. If this is just a book written by men. This book will change your life. This book is truth cover to cover. This book reveals Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. It is the truth of God, his engrafted word. It is a reflection of him. Jesus said, I am the word, the word of life. Wow. 
So he says, I'm holy, and we get that, but he also reminds them, and he's reminding us today that he is true. He also says, he who has the key of David. Now, how many, when you hear that term, the key of David, will admit in church, I have no idea what that is? I didn't know David had keys. Was David a janitor? Did David have a big ring of keys that he walked around? He had keys, you know. David jingled when he walked. That's how the Philistines knew he was coming. They'd get scared and run away. The key of David, now, you can look smart and you can look holy out there, but all of us have to dig into some of these things and figure out what the key of David is because right away it doesn't leap off the page what that means nor the implications of what it means. It says, he who has the key of David. Now, listen, church history tells us that David literally had a key in his possession. It was a key to the gate of the stronghold of Zion. David reigned from Jerusalem, the holy city, and he literally had a key to the city. A key implies that you have power and authority over something. If someone gives you the key to their house, that means you can come in the house when they're not there. If you have a key to something, that means you're in control of it, amen? Hopefully in the morning you can find your keys so you can get in your car and go to work. And understand something, <clears throat> keys imply power and authority and control. And that's the implication here. David had literal control over the holy city. He was the rightful master of it. He had the key to the city. And the implication is here that Jesus Christ doesn't have the literal key of David, but he has a key that gives him all authority, all power and all dominion, all authority over the church, his people, the church of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what does that mean to me? That means you serve a God who's in control of everything that touches your life. If he doesn't open it up, if he doesn't let it in, he's in control. Jesus is not up in heaven scrambling around trying to figure out how to protect the church, how to protect you and I, how to keep us from messing up. No, he is on the throne sitting at the right hand of God with the name above every name, and he's got the keys, he's got the authority, he has the control. This was important for Philadelphia to understand. Why? Because the Romans were constantly trying to make them feel like they had the control. They had the authority. We'll come and do X, Y, and Z to you. But Jesus wanted them to know, these people don't have the authority that I have. The last way he reveals himself as he who opens and no one will shut, and he who shuts and no one will open. It's an interesting illumination of who Jesus is, isn't it? As a father and as fathers out there, and maybe mothers too, you can relate to me. I spend most of my time shutting off lights and closing doors. <laughs> it's like, you know, I used to watch my father do it. And then, you know, now I, I, I got a family and I'm, every room, shut off the light, turn off the TV, close the door, put, turn down the heat, put up the, and it's all, I, I, I'm the janitor. <laughs> and Jesus identifies himself. Hey, I shut doors and I, open doors, and, and there again, this is implying his spiritual authority. Jesus opens and shuts doors, and unlike when I do it, they stay shut or they stay open because of who he is. Jesus is in complete control of everything that concerns the church. Jesus is in complete control of everything that touches your life. 
Serve him, follow him, don't compromise, walk with him. Listen, and you, you'll see he'll be involved in every part of your life. He'll protect you, he'll guide you, he'll lead you, he'll keep you safe. He'll shut off access points that the enemy used to come in and get into your life and mess things up. He'll keep the thieves out of your life. He'll keep the thieves out of stealing away. How many in life you, you find a little success only to have the enemy to come in and steal everything? See, that shut door that Jesus shuts that no one can open keeps the thief out. Some of us have been robbed. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, I've been robbed. Call 911. We've been robbed by this world. We've been robbed by the enemy. We need to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ where he can exercise the dominion he has over all things and allow him to shut doors in our life and open doors in our life. Listen, what Jesus is in control of, no dioceses, no denomination, or no devil in hell can overturn what Jesus does. When he shuts, when he locks, when he closes, it's done. Jesus told every church, I know your deeds. I know your works. And he says that again to Philadelphia in verse 8. I know your deeds. And to some of the churches that were getting correction, he's like, I know your deeds. And then he has nothing good to list. And so he says nothing. And that's kind of unnerving. It's like, let's talk about your strong points. Moving on. You know, he had nothing good to say about some of the churches. Yet he had some good things to say about Philadelphia because he was pleased with them. So when he says, I know your deeds, he has some things in mind. And these were the things that pleased the Lord about Philadelphia. In Philadelphia's case, their works pleased him and they're listed in verse eight. So uh, he says, what? I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door. We're talking about doors again, which no one can shut. That's what he does. Because you have a little power and have followed my word and not denied my name. So in verse 8, he lists three things about their works that are pleasing to him. And if we want to learn what pleases the Lord, we've got to identify what pleased the Lord about their works. Number one, he says, an open door and a little power. See, Jesus said to Philadelphia, the door is wide open for you. What does that mean? It means that they had a level of divine favor and protection that afforded them the opportunity to forcefully advance the gospel. There are places in earth where it is harder to preach the gospel than other places. There are places on earth right now where if you tell someone about Jesus and, and, and try to, you know, get them to accept Christ, you can actually be jailed by the government and in some places executed. In some Muslim-majority countries, in some places like China, you know, it is illegal to proselytize. Now, for us, we have an open door. You can go out and tell anybody you want about Jesus, and the worst that will happen is someone might yell at you, someone might make fun of you, someone might tell you to be quiet. I've passed out tracks in Manhattan. I've gone on Wall Street right past the mic. We've had people say thank you and pray for them right on the street and lead them to Christ. We've also had businessmen in $2,000 suits throw tracks right back in our face. But that's the worst that can happen. You're not getting arrested. You're not getting jailed. You're, you're not, you know, they're not going to chase you down the street with clubs and pitchforks and torches. 
So there's an open door. And that was something that he wanted them to know, and he listed it as a good work. Why? Not just that he had opened the door, but that, you know, they had the opportunity to forcefully advance the gospel. What pleased uh, the Lord about Philadelphia was they made the most of their opportunities. Are you and I making the most of our opportunities? Are we forcefully advancing the gospel? You say, well, pastor, that sounds a little scary to me. That's a, I'm not very forceful, you know. Listen to me. You and I as Christians need to preach the gospel to everyone who has ears, to everyone who's lost. You and I are the mechanism that builds the church. Somebody, help me out. I'm clapping, but that sounds like work. That sounds like your job, Pastor. You go out there and preach better. You'll fill the church. We believe in you. No, all of us got to do our part. You can reach people that I'll never be able to touch. You can touch people that I can't reach. People will listen to you that won't listen to me. They'll be like, who is that guy? And they'll come and they'll look me up and down and the I don't like him. But they'll listen to you. They'll hear from you. They'll meet Jesus if you lead them to him. So an open door, and the door was open, and, the, and they, made, they took advantage of the open door, and they let their light shine, and they preached the gospel, and they lived the gospel, and they didn't shrink back from the gospel. Uh, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. When churches don't preach the gospel, when churches don't make disciples, when churches don't make converts, listen, the churches are weak and they're unattractive. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God and salvation is the thing that excites people. In first service, four people accepted the Lord today for the first time, accepted Jesus into their lives. Listen to me, I've been preaching the gospel since I'm 14 years old, and it never gets old to me to watch people say, I want Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. It's, it's why I exist. It's why I preach. When I was on the floor down for the count, I didn't want to come back because, you know, or this or that, the other thing, or because I didn't get to taste this food or go to this buffet. I'm here for a reason, and it's to preach the gospel, and you're here for a reason. It's to share the love of Jesus. You know, sadly, a lot of Christians just won't participate. Oh, I'm too, I'm too shy. I'm too cowardly. Don't be ashamed. The gospel's power. Or they'll make fun of me. They'll reject me. I'll be embarrassed. It's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. Yeah, we had people reject the message and throw things at us and say things to us or walk right through us but we also had people stop and put their head down and pray a prayer and tears fell and the Holy Spirit was there. So it's worth it. An open door. And then he says something interesting here and a little power. Remember, I know your deeds. I know your good works. Well, an open door that you're taking advantage of, that's pleasing to the Lord. But why do you say you have a little power? You know, weakness is not something we often celebrate. In fact, our flesh hates weakness. Have you ever been in a position of complete weakness and absolutely hated it? Come on, the rest of you are lying. There's only a few people telling the truth here. None of us like to be in a weak spot. Whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in business, whether it's financial, we would rather be large and in charge. Let's just be honest, amen? 
So weakness is not something we celebrate and is not something we see as a strength. But here, weakness is listed as a good work that was pleasing to the Lord. Now, Paul the Apostle understood the strength of weakness very well. In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, he expresses it like this. He says, therefore, I delight in weakness. This is not Paul losing his mind. This is Paul sharing deep spiritual truth. He says, I delight in weakness, in insults, in distress, in persecution, in difficulties, in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul got it. And the things he listed there, none of us would get up in the morning and say, man, I hope I just attract all kinds of insults and distress and persecution. I hope today's a difficult day. In Jesus' name, amen. No, we don't, we don't pray like that. Why? Because we don't esteem weakness. But Paul understood it was at those moments when he endured those things for the Lord's namesake that he was pleasing to the Lord. And when he was pleasing to the Lord, the favor of God rested on him. And though he felt weak in the natural, he was strong in the spiritual. So when we're weak, God is strong. When we're weak, God can display his power through us. Now, I get it. We don't like this weakness thing, especially guys, but, you know, our testosterone is dropping steadily here. And God wants us to understand there's power in weakness. Jesus was pleased with the church that despite the weaknesses that they faced, they didn't have the social status, they didn't have the money, they didn't have the cultural uh, status. You know, they were marginalized. They were, uh, you know, pushed off to the side, discredited, and, and they, there was prejudice against them. And, and they had all these things against them, but he was proud of them and he was pleased with them that in spite of their weaknesses they had to deal with, they did their very best for the kingdom of God. God's not asking us to, you know, do the impossible and, you know, and, and just, you know, make bricks with no straw, but he's asking us to do our very best. All of us can offer our very best to the Lord. And though we're weak in areas and though we don't have strength and though we don't have the social clout or though we don't have the financial muscle, in spite of all that, if we do our best for the Lord, he's pleased with us. Now, listen to me. Weakness, real or perceived, can just become an excuse for spiritual laziness. Weakness, real or perceived, why do I say that? I say it on purpose because sometimes we really are weak and we don't have the strength and we don't have the connections and we don't have the finances. Anyone ever been there? You're in a weak spot. And so that's real. Sometimes we just imagine that we're weak. And a lot of Christians just perceive that they're weak. Well, I'm just a new Christian, and I don't really know the word very well, and I didn't go to Bible school, and I don't have much of an anointing, and I don't know what my spiritual gifts are, and we're just a small church, and we don't have much this, and we don't have much that. And then we use that as an excuse for spiritual laziness. The truth is we've all got enough to make a difference in somebody else's life. We've all got enough of Jesus in us to encourage somebody. Literally, what does it cost us to encourage somebody, to smile at somebody, to tell somebody you love them or you believe in them or they're going to make it, or just to listen to somebody? Do you realize how few people listen? I found out today the only time people listen to you is when they're trying to think of the next thing they're going to say while you're talking. So they see your lips moving. 
what they're thinking of their rebuttal or their story or their comeback. What does it cost us to be loving? This was a church marked by love, brotherly love. They loved each other. They loved God. And it pleased the Lord that they had things stacked up against them, but they still did their best and they still made an impact and they didn't make their weakness an excuse for laziness. Number two, the second thing Jesus says when he says, I know your deeds to them, he says, and you have followed my word. I love this one. The word of God is so powerful. I never get tired of hearing the word of God. I never get tired of preaching the word of God. I'm not running out of any material, amen. When I'm not preaching the word or teaching the word in my car, I'm alone listening to the word. I need to get fed too. And, and, I, and I love the word of God. I've loved the word of God from when I was a young man, when I was a 14-year-old boy. The, the Lord made this come alive. And the truth would leap off the pages and explode in my spirit. And it still does. And you have followed my word. One of the most pleasing things we can do as God's children is to live the truth of James 1.21. It says this, James is speaking, therefore ridding yourselves of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the engrafted or the implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves, listen, doers of the word, not just hearers who deceive themselves. Themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently into the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. See, what brings favor to our lives, what knocks the lid off us, what allows God to bless us and, and be our God and pour out blessings on us is when we'll hear the word and do the word. It's not just enough to hear it. And some of us have heard the word a lot. And the thing about being in church is it's a little bit dangerous because once you hear the word, you're responsible for it. Once you hear the word, it's like now you have to make a choice. It's like someone throwing a grenade in your lap. You've got to address it because if you don't, it will, it will address you. And a lot of us, the word is there and we're like, well, I'm not doing that. Boom. There's a consequence. So not just being here. Look, if you come here and you got an attitude and you don't like what I say and you don't want to be here, stay home. It's safer for you. It's safer for you to stay home. Why? Because if you're going to hear the word and allow it just to harden your heart and not do it, stay home. You're not ready to be here. Stay away from me too. It's safer for you. But he said, you follow my word. What thrills Jesus today is not that we're here hearing somebody preach. He's not thrilled that, you know, we're just here on Sunday hearing the word. He's thrilled by the fact that on Monday we would dare to live the word that we heard on Sunday. Amen. Not enough to be a Sunday Christian. Got to be a Monday Christian. Got to dare to live what we hear, amen, to put the word of God into practice. That's where it becomes real. That's where it produces fruit. That's where we see the favor of God and the wisdom of God and the nurture of God explode in our lives, amen. It's by being doers. People say, oh, Christianity's boring. You ain't doing it right. 
If you're bored, you're not doing it right. Because listen, when you and I will get out there and trust the Lord and put into practice, man, and get off the couch and go out and tell someone about Jesus, when we'll go out there and we'll just let God use us every day, that's exciting, amen? That's exciting living. That's exciting living. The world thinks it's having fun. I, I maintain you, you haven't even started to live yet until you've given your life to Jesus. So it pleased them that he, they followed the word, that they weren't just hearers, but they were doers. If our faith and our testimony and our stance for Jesus Christ costs us nothing, you know, and that's the thing. There is a cost to living the word. There's a high cost to pay for it. When you and I live the word, there's a hefty price tag. Now, how many have ever struggled with the cost of something? Does anyone notice that a lot of things over the last two years have literally doubled in price? I see people in the grocery store, you know, put something up and the thing beep, beep, and they look at the price and they take it off the belt and they say, I don't want this. There's times where there's things in your shopping cart and you're looking at it and you're like, do I really want to pay that much for this? There's times when there's things in your Amazon cart and you're like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I can't tell you how many times I had stuff in my Amazon cart and then I went to check out and I saw the tax and the shipping and the insurance and this fee and that fee. And by the time when I looked at it, I was like, ah, and I just unclicked it, got out of there. PayPal's like, Because I counted the cost. Literally, I put things in and out. Maybe I'll try it today. No, don't have the guts to push by it now. No, too much. Some things have literally doubled. You know, sometimes the cost of following Jesus seems like it's too much to pay up front. But I guarantee you this, if you're willing to pay the cost, what you will reap in benefits and blessing and joy and knowing that you're pleasing the Lord, you'll never be sorry that you trusted the Lord, that you lived the word. You'll never be sorry that you kept his word, amen, because the blessings are just off the chart. They can't compare with the cost. So an open door and a little power and you have not denied my name. That's a powerful thing, isn't it? The believers in Philadelphia refused to deny Christ. Remember we said Smyrna had problems with the Romans and they wouldn't commit idolatry, they wouldn't worship Caesar, so it was a problem. Well, they had detractors there. The Philadelphia church had the same issues, but they did not deny the name of the Lord and Jesus was pleased with that. The believers in Philadelphia refused to shrink back on their commitment, their public stance for Jesus Christ in the face of religious persecution and detractors. Remember, Jesus talked about the synagogue of Satan in Smyrna. He talks about the same synagogue of Satan here in verse 9. We're going to get to that at some point down the road here, God willing. But listen, they had these people that were just out to get them literally because of their testimony for Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, what pleases me so much about you to the point where I have no correction or condemnation for you to the point where I have nothing to ask you to repent for is that you have not denied my name. Powerful. You see, our public confession of Jesus Christ is not optional, it's mandatory. Our public declaration of Jesus Christ is a vital thing to our salvation. 
don't think that we can just come here and hide out in church and, you know, nobody sees us and thank God our parking lot is off in the back and there's trees and no one knows I come to Full Gospel Center. No, we can't just have a, you know, uh, our assembly together and be with the church and then go outside here and then act like we're not Christians at all. Our witness, our public stance, our stance that we take in the public square for Jesus Christ is vital. Listen to Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who's in heaven. You see that? We confess Jesus before men. He confesses us before the Father in heaven. I don't want to be a coward and be silent in the public square and get up to heaven and Jesus looks at me and I look at him and he looks at the Father. I want him to be able to say, this is my servant, Rick, that I'm well pleased with. And I want to hear the father say, well done, good and faithful. But listen, I could want that all I want, but I have to have a public testimony. John, 14, John 4, 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. First John there, John is telling us what? Our public declaration, our public confession, our testimony that, you know, we love Jesus and that he's the Lord and the savior of our lives. That's the thing that proves that we're in the faith, that we're full of the Holy Spirit, that we're, you know, not ashamed of the gospel. I love the way John says it. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. See, very specific. Not a wise teacher, not a good man, not, you know, someone who, you know, is on religious jewelry. No, that he is the son of God. God remains in him. You know, we can't even confess that Jesus is the son of God without the Holy Spirit allowing us to do that. Our flesh wouldn't permit it. If you can confess today that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, you are truly saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. You may not be perfect. You may not have it all together. You, you, you might, you know, have habits that are embarrassing. <laughs> all of us do. You know, I don't think any of us could survive if they put a camera in every room of our house for a week. By that response, I'll just move on. <laughs> Some believers in Jesus would actually believe he was who he said he was, but they were too cowardly to confess him before men because of the cost. Listen to John 12, 42. Jesus would meet with people in secret. The religious leaders would come to him in private. And, and John says this in, in chapter 12, nevertheless, many, even the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him so that they would not be excommunicated from the synagogue. You're like, I believe in you, Jesus, but the cost means they'll throw me out of the church. And I've been there, my family's been there, and we got a pew that has our name on it, and you know, we have good standing in the community. They were unwilling to pay the price, but that confession is what justifies us in the sight of God, and it's what pleased Jesus about them. There are many ways that we can deny Christ without literally saying, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. Do you remember Peter? He said, Lord, I'm ready to die with you. I'll never abandon you. Though everyone run away, I'll stand, I'll fight for you. And what happened? Peter denies him three times. Could you imagine how brokenhearted he was standing there the last time he said, I don't know the man. 
just as Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. We think to deny Jesus, we have to be like a person who says, well, I used to come to church and I used to be a believer, but I don't believe in Jesus anymore. You know, there's many ways that we can deny the Lord without doing that. You say, well, how is it? Well, we deny him when we refuse to share him with the lost. See, if we believe Jesus is everything he said he was and he's the way, the truth, and the life, there should be no one or no place or nothing that could shut our mouths from sharing him with the people that we love. When we refuse to share him with the lost. Listen, you say, well, it's easy for you, preacher. You know, you, this is what you do. No, it's not easy for me. I'm around unsaved people all the time, and I walk a very fine line because the minute I get preachy or the minute I get pastoral, boom, they don't want anything to do with me, and they shut their access off to me. But listen to me, I have to be wise, but the, but the intimidation and the fear, even for me, is still there. Let's not upset the fruit basket. Let's not go for the throat here. Let's not get too religious with them. Hear the whispers of the enemy? But when we refuse to share him, we deny him. When we refuse to refute misinformation about him, we deny him. See, we got a world out there that says, oh, Jesus was a wise teacher. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a good man. And we know differently. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, that he's the son of God, that he's the only name under heaven where, bitch, where which we may be saved. We know this, and people say all kinds of other things. Now I realize we, we can't get into every argument and every fight. Let me say that again. We can't get into every argument and every fight for the, for the keyboard warriors out there. Look, if God leads you to waste your day arguing with a knucklehead, so be it. But listen to me. We can't get into every fight and every argument, but we've got to be a witness. There should be some things that we just can't let go that are said about Jesus, that we got to in love say that's not the truth. This is the truth about who he is. If we love him, we wouldn't let the world defame him. So we, die, we deny him when we refuse to refute misinformation about him. We deny him when we entertain the idea that, well, there's many roads that lead to God. How many know the world is deceiving itself with a false gospel that says all roads lead to God? You can come through this path and that path or this religion or this spiritualism or, you know, you can go the Tom Cruise way or you can go the Buddhist way. And the truth is that only he's the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one truth. This idea of moral relativism is sending people to hell. That to think, well, this is my journey. This is my path. I came this way. I came through this person. I came through this religious system. No, we can only come through Jesus Christ. And when we hear people do the all roads lead to God routine and we say nothing, we deny him. When we keep our faith quiet in the public square, you know, a lot of people will say, you can love Jesus. You can, you know, you can, you can have a relationship with him. You can go to church as much as you want, but shh, keep it quiet. It's private. Your faith is private. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that private faith saves us. It says when we confess in the public square, when we confess before men, that that's what saves us. That's what shows that we really love Jesus. So when we are, shh, I don't want to stir the pot. 
I don't want to make waves. I don't want to offend anybody. When we bow to that, we deny him. We should love him enough to take the risk. You say, well, people are going to get mad. People are going to argue. People are going to not like me. It's worth the risk because some people their eyes are going to open and some people are going to invite him in and some people are going to be changed forever because you and I took the risk to live our faith out in the open. We deny him lastly when we live exactly like the world around us. You and I should be different. Let me say that again because a hush has fallen over the crowd. You and I should be different. In fact, turn to somebody and say, I'm different. All the married people are like, you are different. Now listen, we should be different from the world, but that doesn't mean we should be weirdos. Have you ever met Christian weirdos? Man, I'm saved and I'm like, I don't want to hang out with you. You know, they're just weird. It's not biblical. It's not that, you know, their lives are just, no, it's they're weird. Maybe you've heard of the granola church, fruits, nuts, and flakes. <laughs> Got no shortage of that. I mean, I don't want to go too deep here, but you know, if you're looking at me like, what are you talking about? It, it's you. It's you. <laughs> you know, weirdness doesn't attract people to Jesus. <laughs> right? You know, one of the greatest compliments I feel like I've ever received is when people like go, that guy's a Christian, that guy's a pastor, he's just a normal guy. That's the greatest compliment, why? Because people should know that we could be normal and balanced and, and just, you know, friendly and sociable and that actually we could love Jesus with all our hearts at the same time, amen? That we don't have to be weird, why? Because weird doesn't attract people. But balanced, normal people who, uh, you know, who, who dress themselves appropriately and pay their taxes, that's a good thing. Well, maybe not the last part, I don't know. But we deny him in many different ways other than saying, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. That's, that's not it. We've got to look at the way we live, and we've got to ask ourselves, does the way I live deny who Jesus is in my life? These people in Philadelphia were willing to stand up in the public square and be counted as believers in Jesus Christ, no matter what it cost them. And because of that, they were pleasing to the Lord. And because of that, they would not compromise the word of God. They had an open door. They had favor. And even though they had a little strength, they maximized their opportunities. And so can we. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I just thank you today that... You love us enough to allow us to hear the truth. And I pray, Lord, today that as we're reminded of all the things about Philadelphia here that please the Lord, that we would incorporate these things into our lives, that we serve a holy God who is truth, who has the key of David, who can lock and unlock, who has complete authority. Father, let us have confidence in knowing that nothing can touch our lives unless you allow it to pass through the door. Lord, help us to know that no matter what comes our way, it's not to destroy us, but to perfect us. 
an open door and a little power. Let us maximize our opportunities. Let us hold on tight to the word and never let go of it. Let us not deny your name, but proudly proclaim that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I hear all of what you're saying today, but I... I've never come to a place in my life where I've been able to make a, a stance, make a decision. I, I can't stand in the public square because I haven't stood before the Lord and received him. The Bible says the way we're saved is that we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. God made it so simple. He didn't say you have to do a bunch of work, so you have to get it perfect, or you have to get your act together, or you gotta be religious. No, he says, come to me as a sinner and receive me as savior, and I'll save you. I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. I'll give you the power to live a different life. I'll give you a clean slate and a fresh start. If you're here today and you say, I want that, I want to make a commitment to Jesus, I want a clean slate and a fresh start, I want to be forgiven, I want to be filled with the Spirit of God and lead a different life. If you're here today and you want that, I simply want you to slip up your hand. How many people today would say, I need to do that, I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life? Who needs to do that here today? Don't miss your opportunity. God bless you, young man. God bless you. Ushers, just keep your hand up. The ushers want to give you something. Anyone else? Most important part of our service today. Let's pray a prayer together and say, Lord Jesus, I recognize you're the Savior, and I confess I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin, and I receive you as my Savior. Be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Spirit. Teach me to live a different life. From this moment forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the family of God. Let's welcome them to the family of God today. Praise God. God bless you. A decision like that might not seem like much, but you've practiced the word. You've confessed Jesus before men. And I encourage you to get into the Word, to begin to pray, to go to a church that teaches the Bible. Forget about religion. Forget about denominations. Go to a place that teaches the Word of God, and your faith will grow. God bless you today. Pastor Mike, why don't you come and welcome our visitors today?